Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is CMO Moves, the podcast that showcases the human side of game-changing leaders. Here's their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. We hope you'll enjoy their stories and take away a few tips and inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome, everyone, to CMO Moves. I am Stephanie Patrick, Editor-in-Chief and SVP of Adweek, and I am really excited to welcome today's guest. He has worked for a number of brands that I admire. Jeff Jenkins is Executive Vice President of Global Marketing for Carters. That includes eight brands you might know, including Oshkosh, Skip Hop, Little Planet. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Stephanie, th- thanks so much for having me. It is, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to have a great conversation today. I've been a customer of a number of those brands because I have two little ones, so I'm super familiar with them, and I'm excited to dig into what you're doing there. When I look at your career history, I see what I consider a lot of exciting brands and brands that I think are really tapped into culture or that have very loyal audiences. You worked at Yum! Brands and Taco Bell, Whole Foods. Carl's Jr. and even NASA. You joined Carter's two years ago. Tell me a little bit about you and your current role and why you decided to make this most recent move. I've had the pleasure of working at a lot of great brands over the years and learning from a lot of great leaders. And I think this most recent move to Carter's, I'm coming up on two years. It's hard to believe because I've spent six months, if you will, working in an office and another 18 working remotely, which is 
Um, not how I thought I would do it going in. And it's been uh, a fun and uh, interesting challenge to learn a business somewhat remotely after the first six months. But the opportunity when it was presented to me around Carter's was really interesting for a number of reasons. Number one, I think as marketers, we have to really play in a lot of spaces that sometimes you're digging to find an emotional connection or creating culture. Um, and I really think there's probably two spaces where there's so much just built-in emotioning, and that is in sports is one area um, because you can win or you lose and your team, you're up and you're down. And the other is parenthood because everyone is so emotionally invested in parenthood. And I thought, what a great sort of, if you will, uh, playground to be a part of is, is to market in the space that is around children and parenting and such an, a great emotional issue and thought that would be a really fun place to play in. And then the more I learned about Carter's, it just, it struck me as an amazing brand that quite frankly has 160 plus year history. Oshkosh is 126 years old as well. Great steeped in history and it reaches everyone. So if you think about someone who's famous, I can name several celebrities that show up in our clothes, not just this year, but through the years. Prince Harry was wearing our clothes as a kid, all the way to, we also reach the single parent that might be on food stamps trying to make ends meet. We reach everyone uh, across the globe being the sort of the brand leader and the thought that we could really serve out of our promise, which is to support all families of young children and do that across such a wide swath of reaching every parent in America just felt like, what a great challenge to help parents raise that next generation and really felt like that was something that was calling to me when the job came up. I've never thought of that before, just likening parenthood to sports and something that people are just so inherently passionate about. And you've mentioned to me before that your wife said something to you too, that kind of triggered your next career move. So, you know, I've worked for some amazing brands, as you mentioned, a couple of them. Some of them have been in the fast food world. I have two young kids and, you know, my wife, oftentimes we've tried to align our values as parents with the values of the brands and we, our kids don't eat a lot of fast food. And I've worked at some great brands that I love personally as brands, but she turned to me one night and said, you've been given this gift uh, of being a, a very good marketer. And that's her opinion, not mine. Yeah. You know, she's look, you've got this gift. You've got a superpower. We're laying in bed one night. She says, when are you going to use your superpower for good? When are you going to help really change the world instead of selling the next uh, burrito? And so I just thought that was a, a real calling. And that's one of the reasons as we, as I looked at cars and said, this sandbox of parenthood and helping people raise the next generation, that's something that I think is a bit of a, a more powerful calling to me for career wise. And I can tell you two years in, it's, it's been everything I would have dreamed it would be and more and how we're going to uh, help that next generation of parents is sort of a, a continuous mission we have here at Carter's Noshkosh. That actually gives me goosebumps. And I think it has to do with where you are in your career too. You naturally hit a certain point where that purpose part of the equation can play a bigger role in your decisions. I love to uh, step back a little bit to the early part of your career. Maybe when you were a student first setting out, did you ever think that you'd become a CMO? Quite frankly, I'm not sure I knew what a CMO was when I was in school. And I'm not really even sure I knew what marketing was. I always go back and say my roots in marketing started when I was in high school. I was a, a pretty avid tennis player and I was lucky enough to, to play a little bit in Europe one summer. And I got, got obsessed with this band in Europe that was cringeworthy now, but it's Ace of Bass. And the song was All That She Wants Is Another Baby. And I came home, you know, at the end of summer after playing tennis overseas for a little bit. And I was showing this song to all my friends going, this is, this is going to be a hit. It's going to be a hit. 
And I didn't know about what marketing was that was going to bring that song. It was a small song by a band in Europe to be the number one hit in America. Fast forward a year, that song hit America and became a big thing. And I was like, that was cool. And in my own little sphere of friends, I was like, I, I played some role in making sure this band made it in America. And that's when it sort of unlocked up. There's this great thing called marketing that can take passions you have and share them with others and get people excited about the products and the events. And so from there, it was a bit of an unlock, but I, I didn't know what a CMO was. I didn't know really, truly how marketing, what a marketing job was. And when I look now where I am, I look back and say, gosh, I don't, I had no idea I'd be here. I didn't know what I wanted to do coming out of college. I, I took a bit of a circuitous route. I didn't even go into marketing or even business out of college. Uh, I spent two years doing a play, which is its own sort of digression. But when I look back and connect the dots, I see, I can see myself back in high school, that, that geeky Ace of Base fan discovering what marketing is and, and how it led me to where I am today. That's so cool because I think you're touching on a skill of a CMO that doesn't necessarily show up in a job description or isn't easy to to place on a resume, but really trend spotting and tapping into culture and having just a a gut feeling about what's going to be next. You're really bringing me back, by the way, to my teen years. And I saw the sign. We might have to play you out on that song. So you started to have an inkling that this was the road you wanted to go on. I'm wondering what are some of, how did you actually realize that? How did you, you make that goal of taking this path come true? And what were some of your key decision points in your career along the way that, that brought you to this point? Yeah, it it hasn't been a very straight path. And I think that's one of the things I try and tell uh, folks that I mentor or even my team that the road of your career is never one that's up and to the right. It's got jags up and down and sideways. And I, and I think about someone, a piece of advice someone gave me very early on that that I has played dividends in my career. And I think if I look back as the guiding path is if you make your own road, there's no traffic or there's no traffic if you make your own lane, I think is the, the eloquent way of saying it. But I've always chosen to pursue things that were slightly different, where there was no one else to compete against with, and then say, how do I use this to further my career aspirations? And also, to your point, find what's new and next. I think what's new and next, if it, whenever I talk to my CMO friends and folks in marketing and VPs and, and all the, the, the folks that I admire in marketing, what I hear from them is they're all about waking up every morning, what's new, what's next, how is that going to be part of it? My career path started out unconventionally. I graduated from college. I went to, to work. I got cast in this through a series of like wild things. I got cast in a play and ended up doing it hundreds of times over the next two years. I think some, something over north of 600 times in LA and Chicago and San Francisco. And then we were headed back to New York right before 9-11 and 9-11 hit and Broadway and, and the rest of that shut down. And And for a lot of years, I didn't talk about that part of my life, that weird two years I spent doing a play on the road with a cast of folks. And, but now when I look back, that was a catalyst of what it meant to work as a team, what it meant to entertain, what it meant to listen to the reaction and understand the insight from the audience of what they're giving you. How does someone respond to the piece of work? But while I was in New York, I got a job working as a temp and and as a part-time worker at MTV. And that was a catalyst and 9-11 happened. I went to, I felt like it was time to leave New York. And I went to work for NASA JPL in the public relations department and doing PR. I worked under an incredible leader there that gave me a lot of room to try new things. And then the sort of career pivot moment was I went back to business school. I went to UCLA, decided if I was going to be a, a true marketer and a CMO, that sort of idea of a CMO had formed in my brain. And I said, okay, let's, if I'm going to do this, I need to get the basics down. Went back to UCLA. And then coming out of that, it led to a series of career moves where, as I said, 
always trying to almost pick the lane that no one else was in and then create my own lane and then try and do things differently. So went to Taco Bell thinking I'd be there two years. I didn't think, uh, but everyone said, Yum is a marketing bootcamp. So that was the first one was, and then I ended up being there a decade going internationally uh, as well over to KFC to work on the KFC brand in Australia. And then coming back, another career pivot moment was given two opportunities. You can either go to your job that you were doing before you left, or you can go start this new digital thing. There's an app, apps are important. We should maybe go do something in that space. And so I went and said, okay, no, I really want to do this digital thing, even though there was no team, there was no responsibility. It was just, hey, we think we should build an app. What should that be? And worked on and created sort of the first ever mobile order and delivery system for in the restaurant space and, and partnering with folks early on with DoorDash when they were a, a small team of 10 people working in, a, in what was a, I think, an abandoned veterinary hospital. But some really fun times, but I think it's all about all the moments in my career have been about choosing sort of that path less traveled. A fascinating path. And I love that it's nonlinear. You touched on a few things I want to talk about a little more. One was, what was the play? So it was a play called Big Love by Charles Mee. It was, uh, it was brilliantly written, just like in marketing and advertising, a great script wins the day. And it was, I think it was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. It won several Obie Awards for Off-Broadway shows. It was amazing. And it was actually a retelling of the first play ever found, which was, which is The Suppliant Women by Aeschylus. And, but it was told in a very modern, almost MTV style. And it's about 50 brothers who are betrothed to marry 50 sisters. So the play takes place of unfolding whether or not they do or do not get married. And I played one of, one of the brothers. I love what you said about feeling like you had to hide those two years for a little bit because they didn't perfectly make sense within a a nice and neat career path. But now it's something, it sounds like you can really speak to how that prepared you in many ways for what you're doing now. Do you have any advice for people who are earlier in their career, who are trying to decide between, okay, here's the stair-step approach to becoming a CMO versus taking another unusual opportunity. Yeah, I think for those folks and I, and I reflect back on my early days and why I hid that, right? I didn't tell a lot of people about this path and because I, I felt it was almost detrimental to becoming a marketer. Oh, you did this thing. You didn't go right out of school and go right into marketing. You spent two years doing this play and traveling the U.S. But what I found is when I started to tell the story about who it was and who I am, and everyone was like, it's so different. People have appreciation for a different experience. And so when I think about new people, people coming out for their first time, I think one of the pieces of advice is that, that I have is be your authentic self, be your true self. I think when you come out, you feel like you have to fit in this mold of I'm working in this corporate environment. I'm playing this role that I have in my mind of what it's like. I always say I'm not a grown up, And that's the great thing about working at Carter's is I really don't feel like I'm a grown up. but you feel like you have to grow up and be this professional and you do have to be professional, but I think you have to be your authentic self. You have to be your true self. And I think that's what I encourage everyone that I work with to, to bring to work every day, bring your true self to work, because I think what makes you unique is what will make you a star because there's a million things. This is something I learned in the acting business, right? Is you go show up for a part and you walk into a room and there are 50 other people that look exactly like you. And so just like in the world, there's 50 other people that are going to be marketing managers. The question is, how do you stand out? How do you bring your authentic self to the work, to the role, if you're acting, 
to bring to differentiate yourself from the crowd and create new and exciting venues of opportunity for yourself. And I, I think any actor that's walked into a room in a casting session and seen 50 other people who look pretty much the same like them. And, and generally, if you were like me, much better looking than me. And then they all sit there and it's like, how do you bring your own self? And I think you got to do that work. How do you bring your own authentic self to create a differentiation so people recognize what you bring, the value of what you bring at work? That is such fantastic advice. You touched on your time at Yum Brands, and I think you said it was like a boot camp for marketers. And I know that you are still tight with a lot of marketers who work together at a certain time on, on Taco Bell and others. Can you tell, tell us more about that time and why was it such a boot camp for these marketers who've risen to really, you know, to CMO roles at really prominent brands? Yeah, I think Yum is a boot camp. A, at the time I was there, Greg Creed was the, the CEO who was a f- tremendous leader. And so I think a lot of what he cast down to the organization was leaders, the leadership qualities that I think a lot of us in our little group that were at Taco Bell uh, a number of years ago have tried to try to bring to our roles as we grow up and age up and become leaders. And, and that is really, it's about 50% of what you do is your job. But the other 50% that Yum really wants to judge you on is how are you at building the next generation of leaders? So I think that's something that's been instilled. But when you think about marketing bootcamp and you think about the, the, the QSR world in general and, and Taco Bell and Yum and or Taco Bell and Pizza Hut and KFC, at, at the end of the day, the way I always thought about it was there are 10 sort of five week windows every year that you have to change the marketing message. And so it's a little bit of three card Monty of keeping people interested with sort of products that don't change dramatically. There's occasionally a new ingredient or occasionally a new sauce, but the base menu's the same. And so it was, how do you continually drive innovation and how do you tap into culture to drive that innovation and find stories that are just outside of the product? And I think that's one of the things that I learned at Taco Bell and Yum very early on was how do you bring that information into um, that everyday culture space. The brand at Taco Bell, when I joined in 2000, and I believe it was 2008, was just coming off of that great era of marketing of Yokiro Taco Bell and the dog, but it had sort of run stale as all campaigns have a shelf life and it exceeded its shelf life. And it was, how do we bring the next brand to life? So, you know, there's an amazing group of people that I was there with that all played a different role in bringing the brand into the digital age and bringing it to the social media age and bringing it into uh, phenomenal TV advertising to bring the products into a whole new world of life, to taking the brand international. There are just, it is an amazing thing because you're, every five weeks, it's a new message. You've got to really be on your toes. And if the products aren't changing that much, the question is how do you bring culture into the equation to make it more than, to make the brand a lifestyle rather than just a product? And so, you know, I think the other thing I learned at Taco Bell is, as you mentioned, that group of people, find your peers and support one another. That is probably the biggest unlock of Taco Bell that I took away was, I have this cohort that is amazing group of leaders. It was Nick Tran, who's now the head of marketing for TikTok. You've got Aaron North, who's the CMO of Mint Mobile. You've got Siobhan Vaidi Swaran, who's the uh, global head of marketing for Uber Eats. Just this amazing cadre, Tressie Lieberman, who runs digital for Chipotle. Stephanie Perdue, who was the, v, who was the CMO at TJIF Fridays. The list goes on and on. And I think we've all stayed close and made this sort of little cohort where we can trust each other and bounce ideas off of each other and get real-time feedback and support each other in our careers throughout the, the entire last decade. And I think that's been transformative for me because I'm a better person because I have those people challenging me every day, pushing me, supporting me, and really saying, you can do it and giving me the confidence. And 
likewise shared within the group, the shared confidence to believe we could all become CMOs. It's crazy that we all sit in these seats now today, but it's a credit to the leadership and, and Greg Creed, who is the, C, the CMO and CEO of Taco Bell to really push that sort of want. And I think all of us now are saying, how do we do the same thing that was done for us at Taco Bell? I love that you bring that up because you're you're leading me into the topic of mentorship. And a number of the people you mentioned too are part of our mentor program. I think you're one of our mentors at Apple, yeah. correct? I am. I so I'll ask a two-pronged question. One, is there someone who whose mentorship really has influenced you and your career? And then also from what you've learned so far, what's the biggest piece of advice that you're passing on to your mentees? Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest, the two biggest influences in my career are are Greg Creed, who is the CEO at at Taco Bell, and then my current CEO, Mike Casey. I think there's a lot of similarities. And I think part of the reason I was attracted to the role here is seeing such a great leader, my boss, Mike, to really lead with uh, humility. And I think that's where the emphasis on people, like I think the leaders that I've gravitated toward they can't over rotate towards people that there is just such an impact of, we will leave the seat, whatever role you're in, you will leave it at some point. The, and the work will eventually be forgotten, but will not, what will not be forgotten is the impact you make on people's lives. And I think that's where Greg and Mike and, and have really said, Hey, how do you make sure that every person that you touch, you make their lives better. And I think that's one of the things when I look back over my career that I learned was and I think Yum was very, very specific about it. And Carter's is very too. How do we judge all of our leaders on their ability to really raise the next generation of leaders? So it was always a question of who's going to succeed you? Because at some point you're not going to be here, whether you take on another role in the company or whether you leave, how do we build that talent pool along the way? And so I think that's been one thing that has stuck in my head. And what I will say about amazing mentors and one thing, one thing that I try and do as well is I've had mentors that will pick up the phone no matter what. So I've had some been at career crossroads trying to decide on a job that I was going to take. And it's, it's funny, it's happened twice with Greg Creed. I've called him twice and, and text him, hey, love to chat with you on this, on this career decision I'm making. Would love your input, would love your counsel. And within five minutes, he picks up the phone and calls me back. Two of those times, the, the, the two times I've had, have been while he's in the middle of doing earnings, like not on the call earnings call, but on earnings day. And to think about that someone really thinks enough of people and the importance of people to on probably the biggest day of the quarter to pick up the phone and and call and answer someone who no longer works at Yum and give career advice on, hey, here's what I would think. Here's how to approach it. That really stands out. And similarly, Mike Casey will call after earnings call to give me some, give me thoughts. And I think that for me is, putting people above everything else. And that's the thing I try and tell uh, my mentees is at the end of the day, it's, it's all about people. And it's all about how you can build that relationship and invest in people. Because ultimately as a C-level, I always joke that once you get to the C-level, 90% of your job is the C. 10% is that middle, whether that's the M or the F or the O. So whether you're marketing, finance, or operations or legal, 10% of it is that, that, and the, the 90% is really the chief part, which is allocation of resources, building the team, all of that sort of leadership stuff. And very rarely do you get to do as much of the marketing day to day. And it's really about that, that 90% hiring great people, making the right strategic decisions, empowering the team to really go out there and live out and, and breathe the brand. So I think that's part of the thing I, I say, say is Greg Creed once said, what got you here won't get you there. And that's probably the biggest piece of advice that I pass on to my mentees is I always knew I was a really bad 
associate brand manager, but I knew I'd probably be a better brand director if I could get there, but I had to be a great brand manager first. And I think that's one of the things you learn is what got you, what made you a great brand manager won't make you a great brand director, won't make great VP. And ultimately the skills you need at the CMO level are vastly different than even what you need at the VP level. So I think it is really around how do you recognize the skill set you need in the next job and start building that muscle before you get there? That's so wise. And I think that people component is really important for people to start thinking about early in their careers, because I do think a lot of people step into management or step into the C-suite and are surprised by how much of the job is just people and getting, getting people to get along, getting people to collaborate, drawing and inspiring the best ideas. And so you can't start working on navigating your work relationships early enough. I'd love to talk about Carter's and what, because I know you all are at a pretty exciting point in time with the company, particularly with Oshkosh. What are you most excited about that you're working on right now? This is, this is a fun day to be recording this because we have a new campaign launching today that's been launching today and it's done. It's, it's off to a great start. So we're very excited about it. But we have uh, a campaign launching for Oshkosh today that is um, called Today is Someday. And I think one of the things that we know about our Oshkosh brand is that it is an American icon. When I took this job and said, oh, I'm going to work for Carter's and would tell people about the, the, the family of brands, people would say exactly what we said. Oh, I know Carter's. I've had it in my closet. But when you say Oshkosh, people's eyes light up. I remember wearing the, then the reaction is, I remember wearing the overalls as a kid and my kid wore the overalls and my mom saved my overalls. And it, it is an American icon having been around 126 years. And one of the things we said was, it's an American icon. How can we partner with other American icons and really tell this story? And we ended up partnering with Muhammad Ali, Mariah Carey, and Outkast as our icons. And what we came on with our agency partner to, to realize is, is that every icon started as a small child. Every icon started in their room dreaming about becoming an icon, becoming world famous, and having this entire life that they dreamed of. Because I think every kid that when we talk to, to kids and, and do research, every kid wants to be an astronaut, a firefighter, a poet, uh, a musician, and they all want to do it all at the same time when they're grown up because they know no bounds to what they can become. And for these icons we're working on with today is someday, they really achieved it. They became the icon. And so it's a fun campaign that we're launching to, Launching that is young actors playing these icons as kids, talking about the dreams that we all know have come true. So you've got young Mariah Carey, who's actually played by Monroe, her daughter, which was a fun little piece, singing into a hairbrush about becoming the artist of the decade and the artist of the millennium and referencing Daydream, one of her, one of her hit songs, and Someday. And it's just, it's fun to think about, A, these ads relate to the parents because I grew up in, and parents right now grew up in the generation of having Outkast and Muhammad Ali and Mariah Carey as their icons, but also every young kid can relate to sitting in their closet, looking in the mirror, singing the hairbrush about what they can become. So I think it's been a fun campaign so far. It's just day one, it starts running this week. So it's really exciting. But I think as we think about how do we, going back to your earlier conversation, how do you weave culture in, right? How do you weave culture into the brand? And we know that, you know, pop culture and icons are just an integral part of society and culture today. Jeff, can we hear a little bit of that campaign with Mariah's daughter? Yes, it would be our pleasure. So here you go. Here is Monroe as Mariah Carey. Someday, it's going to be different. The melodies that live in my head, someday they'll live at the top of the charts. The songs in my heart will touch millions of hearts. Artists of the year, artists of the decade, artists of the millennium. 
but the meaning is an inspiring generations of little girls to hit their high note. How's that for a day game? What a brilliant casting move with Mariah Carey's daughter. How did, can you share how that came together? Um, you know, we just, we wanted obviously to find um, characters that sort of had a real sort of resonance of that, of who you think of that celebrity is as a child. And once we talked to Mariah and saw Monroe, there, there's no question, right? She is just, when you watch the advertisement, she is this sort of like reincarnation of Mariah, the, the voice, the look, the sparkle. She just does a phenomenal job pulling off what you would imagine, because no, no one knew Mariah Carey as an eight-year-old, but you would imagine what she would be like. And she just embodied it. So there was no other question of who could even play her. When we met Monroe and, and saw Monroe, we just thought, oh my goodness, there, there is a fun twist on this and felt it was something that would add just another layer of intrigue to the ad itself. Yeah, a casting gift. Yes. Um, I know also, I'd love to hear your thoughts on trends in the retail space, whether it is within kids apparel or just the larger retail space. Obviously, we're at this really interesting moment where we've had we're, we've had an unusual year. We're halfway out of it. Do you have any predictions or anything that you and your team are really attuned to in terms of what the customer is going to want in the year ahead? Yeah, this has been a year unlike any other, as everyone has said. And I think you've seen a big rotation in fashion. And I think we're about ready to see another big rotation in a fashion and apparel. When you're at home, obviously you can wear shorts or PJ pants and, and, a, and a dress shirt. And I think there was a big rotation towards athleisure and discomfort, which was already building. You had the outdoor voices of the world and the Lululemons of the world all breaking through even pre-COVID. But I think when suddenly you're at home or working remotely or hybrid, there was a, a big rotation to, to this athleisure and to comfort. And I think what we're starting to see now, and what I, I think is going to happen a little bit is as kids go back to school, as people go back into the office, there's going to be a bit of a rotation. And we've already seen it in our space of going back into fashion, going back into a little bit more, it'll still air more on the comfort side and, and the athleisure side. But I think there's going to be a rotation, I think, into fashion. I think one of the things in our space, particularly, especially around kids apparel is we know how important the first day of school outfit is. A, I think every parent tries to shop for their kid, make sure their kid feels really special about that first day of school. And we know that what a kid wears can really instill confidence in that child. And so as you think about kids heading back to school, sometimes some of them for the first time in 18 months and uncertainness of being in the classroom and, and, and what's that in-person learning is going to be a lot like, and they've been away from friends. You want that child to be as confident as possible. You want them to feel like they own the room and fashion plays a role in that to making sure a kid feels like they're stylish and fashionable. So I think you're going to see a bit of a rotation. And I think even in the office workplace among adults, you're going to see folks who have had on the PJs for a long time and are trying to dress up. My wife and I went out to dinner the other night and we were like, oh, this is our first chance to wear something a little more fancy than uh, sweatpants and a t-shirt. It was like, let's get really dressed up. And we weren't going anywhere fancy, but suddenly we were dressed as if we were going out to some high highfalutin restaurant and we were just going down the street for a quick bite. But I think you're going to see a little bit of a rotation into that more of a fashion and style moment than we've had over the last 18 months. Which makes the, the Oshkosh relaunch, I think the timing is so smart, right? Because I know that's, your, that's Carter's fashion forward brand and really primed for that first day of school outfit. So it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that play out. And, and I like hearing that you're already seeing that reflected uh, in the data that Carter's seeing. So 
you know, I want to talk about skills of the future too. While we're talking about the future trends for consumers, what are some future trends you're seeing in terms of CMOs and what a successful CMO, what kind of tools they need to have in their belt? Yeah, it's funny. I was actually just talking to one of our, our, our summer interns this summer about, she asked the same question. What would you say that I need skills I need to become a leader in marketing? And, and what skills did you have that you brought to the table? And I think, as you said, Stephanie, that it is about part of this role is innately a gut feel trend spotting piece. And I, and I think you have to do the same thing with the skill set, right? Because the skill set that you need as a CMO today didn't exist a decade ago. No one was doing true performance marketing at scale. No one had 18 different touch points in, in their con- customer journey that they could identify and track all at once and report out on it from a KPI standpoint. And so I think there is a part of the, the trifecta, I think, of what you need to have as a skill set in your tool bag, but they're, they're amorphous because they're going to change. I think one does never change and is you have to have empathy as a leader. You have to be invest in people. You have to understand your customer. You have to have empathy for what they're going through. That doesn't change no matter what the technology changes. You have to really understand what about your brand consumers like and what they don't like and how do you optimize? I think you have to have empathy and understanding of your consumers, of your team as a leader. You have to be empathetic of when you're asking them to go above and beyond. How do you also give them breathing space? Working through COVID, I think we have to have empathy as leaders of this hybrid work environment. I think that will always stay true. I think now CMOs are expected to be that sort of what used to be a unicorn of understanding creative and data. That's that's ground rules, right? So I think understanding data, understanding performance marketing, understanding sort of customer journeys and all of the marketing technology stack, it's you have to know enough to be dangerous and you can't be un, uninformed, but there will always be someone smarter on my team than I am at marketing technology. It's a constant education for myself about how to do that. I think that's only going to escalate in the future as technology plays a bigger role in marketing. I think that's, it's a huge unlock for us. And I think it's great because I think the technology and the tracking allows us to hold marketing accountable and marketing spend accountable in ways that we've never had before, which also builds um, partnerships uh, across the C-suite when you're able to validate those results in in a very big way. And then the last one is ultimately vision and storytelling. As a CMO, you're responsible for setting the vision and letting the team, empowering the team to help execute and bring a vision to life. And I think as a leader, any leader in, in the organization that sits at a senior level, you have to inspire the team with a vision. You have to create a story of what the brand can become, where the brand can go, where you want to take customers, how you can make customers' lives better. And I think as part of that as a CMO, you have to be able to tell that story now, the tools to be able to tell that story are always changing. I think it is, whether it be social media. I remember, remember the early days at Taco Bell when we were like, should we be on Snapchat? Is that a thing? How do, how do we get on Snapchat? We should, our customers are there. We should be there. And I remember Trusty Lieberman, uh, who was my boss at the time, saying, no, we should be on Snapchat. And I remember those machinations of how do you find out where customers are and really go there to tell the story? And I, and I think that's sort of that trend spotting. How do you always think one one step ahead and say, where are folks going to gravitate towards and how can we be there in an authentic and relatable way? I know you were chief digital officer at one point for CKE. Do you have any advice for marketers who want the bona fides for that role too? You know, that hybrid marketer digital role. Is there anything that people can be doing in their jobs today that will help them make that case? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. I think the role, what I remember thinking, gosh, maybe five years ago, I want to be a chief digital officer. And I'm not sure that's a role that's going to be long-term. I think that's one of the the questions is, 
There's no chief television officer. There's no chief radio officer, but we have this chief digital officer role that's come and gone. And, and I think there is a, there's a need for everyone in the organization today to be digitally savvy, whether that is in our world, the buying and planning team, whether that's our merchandising team, everyone has to understand how the world works, especially in a world where post COVID, the sort of digital interactions leapt forward 10 years and they're only going to continue to go up. So I, I think the advice I have is make it part of your day-to-day job, even if you don't have digital in your title. You've got to figure out a way to understand how digital is impacting your business, because I think in a few years, it's going to be just, and I think it already is, another tool set in the belt that everyone is expected to have. But I think it will be interesting to watch how the importance in the organizations, how it shifts in importance, because I think it, for several years, it was was a standalone job because we need someone who understands it to bring that into the organization. Now, as it permeates the organization, I think people are realizing every single person that's under organization is touching digital in some sort of way, whether it's analytics on the buy side, whether it's media per, media on the other side. And I think that's what the advice that everyone must have is make digital part of your job, whether it's in the title or not. I have never heard someone make that analogy, but it's so smart that we don't have chief TV officers. <laughs> you know, We might have chief TikTok officers at the moment, but those platform specific roles can have a shorter shelf life, but uh, a marketer is here to stay. You mentioned earlier the importance of partnering with people across the organization to get things done. So how do you partner with your peers in the C-suite, the CEO, the CFO, the CHRO, to make sure that your vision and the team's vision is well executed? Yeah, you will get nowhere without building the right partnerships across not just the C-suite level, but any level um, at, at Yum, they have a phrase called taking people with you. And I think that's burned into the back of my brain. And it, it is this notion of if you want to get something done, you need to bring people with you. You need to make sure that everyone comes along on the journey. And there's also a, another proverb out there that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that is really holds true. As I think about my partner, our head of retail is one of my closest partners, our head of product who. We are co-custodians of the brands. I work on the communications. She works on the product. Those two things build the brand together, as well as the experience with, with my, our head of retail. Our wholesale you know, sales team that works with selling into Amazon and Target and Walmart and Kohl's and all the other accounts that we have. We've got to be tied at the hip about how the brands are expressed. Our CRHO, as you mentioned, right? How do we, how do we build the right team? I've been lucky that we've been able to bring in some new leaders, even in the midst of COVID. And that's been a, a huge partnership with my HR partners. So as I look about it, look about how it is, I would have been nowhere without my partners. They are supportive. They're building bridges for me. They're knocking down hurdles. And and similarly, in our organization, our president, our CFO, financial alignment and financial responsibility is key in any publicly traded company, but in in any company. And so I think it's building trust and you've got to earn trust. And I I think that's the thing that you have to think about when you come into a new job, particularly in the C-level is you've got to earn trust. And I think that's one of the things that I will continually try and earn trust throughout the entire time I'm at any company, but I think you have to find those partners because only together can you create the experience you want. I can't create the experience if we don't have in our retail stores with the brand that I have, that the marketing team has had in their head. If our retail team and operations partners can't bring it to life and can't give me feedback to say, oh, you know what? This would actually make it better. Our product team is constantly evolving the product and giving us feedback of, you know what? That piece of marketing, it would be better. Here's a great product story that we've developed. Can you bring this to life in the marketing? And similarly with our partners in wholesale, as well as all those different pieces, they have to work together 
and they have to make the whole thing sing. And without bringing those folks along, you will get nowhere. And and I think that's one of the things that I'm very lucky at Carter's is our cross-functional partnership where Highly Matrixed has been just a, a gift to me because it's the notion of a rising tide raises all ships. That if we all do better together, the whole thing, it, it rises. And I think everyone has that attitude and, and it's been a great to build these partnerships with my cross-functional leaders across my career. That's awesome. And I'm going to ask you two final questions that we all have right. asked other guests who've come on this show. One, this is one of my favorites because the answer is always different. What rules have you broken that absolutely needed to be broken? Oh my goodness. So my, my old adage of there's no traffic if you make your own lane. Uh, there are countless rules that I've broken along the way because of that. I think the rules that I've broken along the way are, are many, but I think if I had to like name like one or two that I think the path is, I, I think I, I broke rules in terms of understanding what it meant to be in my, to play in my space. And I think there is this notion that everyone has my job description says X. And for me, I always thought of that. That's a starting point. And what else can I be in? And I think it is being active to go ask about things. Several of the opportunities I've gotten was because I broke the rules and not necessarily the written rules, but the sort of rules of engagement. I I got one role when I was at Taco Bell by simply writing the CEO and asking if I could be be part of this project. And if I could lead this project, we had a leader that was, that moved internationally. And so I emailed and said, Hey, can I, would you be interested in me taking this on? Can I put together a, a presentation of how I would do it? And I think that was a little taboo. You don't just email the CEO and ask for this job. And I was like, well, why not? Why would you not do that? But I think the rules, you have to do it and you have to know how to break the rules without, break, without breaking trust. And I think that's the key is you can't do things that don't earn trust. And you, you have to find times to break the rules And then I I think the other ways is you have to know when it's okay to break the rules and when it's not. I I had a CEO, Jason Marker, who was uh, previously the the KFC CMO and CEO. And and when we were working on a project, he said, here's the rule you can't break. You can do anything you want from a marketing perspective, as long as we don't get sued for and lose a million dollars. He goes, you go to a million and one dollars, you're in trouble. But he goes, "If, if what you're doing is getting us that much press, the value of that is probably worth it. And as I think about that, he was, it was permission for me to break the rules. Now we didn't do anything that was going to get a suit. We, we were playing within the lines, but he granted me permission to do things that weren't necessary. We did a, a thing at CKE where we tried to get Amazon to buy us because they shipped things in boxes and we, we sold a, a $5 box meal. And so we thought what a great match in heaven. And it made the cover of the USA today of us trying to get bought by Amazon. And it was totally harebrained and and it was one of those things where, oh, I, I hope Amazon has a good time with this. And they were, you know, completely great sports. But I do think it is, A, getting the permission to break the rules, but also doing it in a way where you don't break the trust of the people that you have to partner with day in and day out, cross-functionally as well as within marketing. Break the rules without breaking trust is something I will remember. If time and money were of no object and you weren't a CMO, what would you be? I, I wouldn't say if it was time and money because I, I think... I, I would get up and do this job tomorrow every day for the rest of my life. I love what I do. It's so much fun. But if life, had, you know, because life is all about, it's almost like a pinball. You hit some things and you go in different directions. I was obsessed with architecture as a kid. And I've heard this on several CMOs talk about this notion of strategy and building things. I was obsessed with Frank Lloyd Wright. I was obsessed with his architecture, falling water, all of the, the houses in Chicago. In fact, I was so obsessed that we scheduled one of our family vacations. Instead of going to a national park, we went to Taliesin West, which was his studio out, out West. And I made my parents go on an art history tour of the studio. 
And so when I think about that, I probably, and, and I built an entire cardboard remake of falling water with a running water that you could pour a little cup of water and that would go down and it was insulated. So I think the notion of building and creating things is in my blood. And that's what drives me into marketing. Cause I think we're building and creating experiences and stories, but I think architecture was the other place. Now I can't draw to save my life. So maybe that's why I ended up in marketing. Cause I'm like the world's worst draw, especially as I now have kids and try and teach them how to draw. And I'm, my, my, my kids are much better uh, artists than I am, but I think that's probably the field that I would have gravitated towards had marketing not been my calling, but I get up and do this job tomorrow a thousand times over. It is just the thing I love to do. And especially at Carter's, which is a brand about supporting all these families and young children. It's just an inspiration to be part of this every day. That's an incredible childhood hobby, I have to say, and sounds like a trip I, I would love to go on myself. That is an original answer to no CMO, as far as I know, has said that they wanted to be an architect, but I can totally see the connection in terms of creating a world. Jeff Dinkins, Executive Vice President of Global Marketing for Carters, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I think that your career is fascinating, and I'm so excited to see what you and Carters and Oshkosh and the whole House of Brands continue to do. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. It was a pleasure. And and we're excited to share some great new stories. Obviously, the campaign launching today, but we've got a lot more on tap that I think is going to be exciting for for our customers and, and for the broader market. Thanks so much, Jeff. And thanks to everyone for listening in. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, we'd love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues. And please also be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Better yet, leave us a review while you're at it. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.